There's always a bit in a show. Every night you come to it, you go, oh, God, it's this bit. I really need to rewrite this bit because it's awful. And then you just, you finish the show and you, and you forget to rewrite it. And then the next night you're like, oh, God, it's this bit again. <laughs> <laughs> This week on Walking the Dog, I chatted to comedian Zoe Lyons and her dog Groucho from their home in Brighton. Zoe is a brilliant stand-up, known for her TV appearances on Mock the Wee, Live at the Apollo and QI, and radio stints on the News Quiz, Just a Minute and The Now Show. And she's an absolute joy to chat to. We talked about her childhood, where she moved around a lot, which helped her hone the knack of winning a room as a comic later on. And the things that made her feel different to her peers, having alopecia and then realising she was gay, and how that feeling of otherness became something she was able to channel into performing. We also discussed her fabulously unusual start in showbiz as a contestant on the reality show Survivor, which gave her the confidence to give comedy a try, and I'm frankly delighted that she did. I think you'll adore Zoe. She's just a very special blend of funny bones and kind bones, and Groucho seems like an absolute star. Oh, okay, Ray, not as big a star as you. Yes, I've seen the contract. I know you get mentioned in the intro. Can I just get on with it? If you want to see more Zoe, do check out the brilliant BBC quiz show Lightning that she presents currently, which is on BBC iPlayer. You can also find out more about her upcoming projects via zoelyons.co.uk or on Twitter at Zoe Lyons. I'll stop waffling now and hand over to the woman herself. Here's Zoe and Groucho and Ray. Yeah, go. How do you think he'll get on with uh, Ray, Zoe? Um, I'm, I'm going to say Groucho has some, should we say, issues when it comes to um, being social. Um, he's an older gentleman and therefore harbours some, I would say, fairly bigoted views about certain people and other dogs. And we've had issues in the past. Uh, what breed is ray and what what country is he from (laughs) i like that when you asked that groucho barked his as if to say you've learned mummy these are the questions we need to ask yes yes yeah ray is well uh he's originally from the chinese imperial royal family we could have issues Groucho was born behind a bin, and if he was in the pub, he'd wear jeans up to his first nipples, be reading the Racing Post, and be making some really, really derogatory comments about Brexit. So I don't think they're going to be friends. <laughs> oh, oh, do you know, I haven't even started yet, and already this might be the, my favourite podcast I've ever done. <laughs> Zoe, I'm so thrilled and delighted that you can join us today oh it's a pleasure this is walking the dog and normally we would actually be walking the dog but the reason we're not is because obviously you're in brighton and i'm in london but i really really yes. i've heard about groucho your dog and obviously i know about you <laughs> yeah <laughs> i like that you mentioned him first <laughs> obviously you're a dog owner you understand that yeah yeah he comes first. 
has he got everything? Is he all settled? Has he got treats? Everything he needs? We've had um, we've probably had probably had like one and a quarter schmackos already, so that's enough because um, I'll be bagging it later. So uh, yes, being an older dog, he um, he has a slightly delicate stomach. Yeah, Ray's very picky about his food. But then, that, you know, what are you going to do? Chinese Imperial Royal Family. Yeah. Gonna... <laughs> you can't have duck every night, can you? <laughs> it's got, I don't like it. It's got a class war between yeah. our dogs. I don't yeah. like it, Zoe. <laughs> I, well, I've got so much to talk to you about, but uh, we need to obviously ask about Groucho first. Sure. Because will you introduce me to your dog, Zoe? Yes. Could I introduce you properly? I need to do the posh bit when I say I'm very excited because I've got a fabulous comedian and presenter Zoe Lyons and her dog Groucho. Will you please uh, introduce me to your dog Groucho? This is Groucho or Mr. Groucho Barks to give him his full title. Um, he is a 14 year old Jack Russell cross thing. We got him as a puppy from uh, Shoreham Dogs Home. Um, uh, we went in, to, we went in sort of looking for a dog and uh, uh, they'd had a glut of puppies. I think that's the right expression and got rid of their entire puppy list in one go. And he was, he was a spare puppy. And um, yeah, and as we were looking around at a bunch of sort of wheelchair bound uh, greyhounds, and um, Staffordshire Bull Terriers with issues. <laughs> um, I've, I've dated some men who could be described as Staffordshire Bull Terriers with issues. Yes, that's, you know, um, uh, we were just about to leave. One of the women came up to us and went, would you be interested in a puppy? I went, of course I'd be interested in a puppy. When you mention the puppy, why have we, why have we had to be dragged around this lot? Um, so she said, we've got a puppy, it'll be available in a few weeks. We went, what is it? We don't really know. His mum was a bit promiscuous, uh, back around the back of a bin. <laughs> it was made behind a skip. We have no idea what it'll be. And uh, turned out to be a little wide-haired cross Jack Russell. He was oh. the runt of the litter. And I also learned very early on, you don't say runt of the litter in front of people at a dog's home. You say the smallest of the litter. I wish someone had told my parents that about me. <laughs> he was actually quite an ugly puppy. He's so cute now. Come here, Gretchen. Let me see your cute face. He was an ugly puppy. He sort of looked like a sort of slightly hairy potato. Um, very short legs. His, his siblings were, were much better looking. They were sort of black tan and white, proper looking Jack Russells. And he was this little ginger throwback. <laughs> And they all had quite, quite sort of well-proportioned limbs and faces, and he just didn't. Um, but he's grown into quite a handsome fella. Well, I was attracted to Ray because he was the run to the litter, as they would yeah. have said in the 70s or whatever. Yeah. You're definitely drawn to dogs, aren't you? You're drawn to the one that's meant to be for you. Yeah. Yeah. And you seem like a really, you seem like really devoted to him. Oh, yeah. I mean, my dog... I. My, he's a chat. He's a he's a terrier. So terriers have this incredible personality, and they are stubborn, and they are alpha, 
and they are irritating and they do their own thing, but they are massively full of personality. And uh, I love him for that. He's a, he's a bit of an ass. He really is. He is a bit of an ass. Like, <laughs> he's not an easy dog. He's not, and he, he, you know, if I ever go around to anybody else's house who's got a dog, he's straight in the door, straight in that dog's bed with all of that dog's toys and just lies there like, what are you do about it? Yeah? Come on, I'll cut you. He's, I mean, he's an idiot. He's an, he's a, yeah. He is the sort of, you'd meet him down the pub, he'd be able to tell, sell you anything for 20 quid. He's that sort of a dog. I love him for it. Ray would be reporting him to the police. To the Ray's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ray's the horrible sort of like grass, cowardly grass. <laughs> it's incredible how strong their personalities are, though, and how different they are. Um, Groucho's best friend, Alfie, is a Patterdale Terrier, and he, he can, he's such a different character. He would definitely wear a flowery blouse and write sort of love poetry from a, a, a rattan chair somewhere <laughs> in the sun because of his weak lungs. He's, he's got... <laughs> Whereas I'm, I'm already sensing that Groucho would be more with a sort of biker jacket, maybe. It, yeah, it very, very uh, stonewashed jeans, white trainers. <laughs> <laughs> and a sports direct bag. Yeah, sports direct bag, reading the Racing Post. That would be him. And uh, smoking rollies. Yeah, with his, he'd have a roly between his two remaining teeth. Yeah. Oh. oh. Hi, yeah. Groucho. Hello. Hi. Hey, Ray. Hi. Hello. Oh, look. Don't say anything inappropriate, Groucho. <laughs> I know what you like. <laughs> like. What's that? Oh, they're letting anything in these days, aren't they? Look at that. <laughs> it's bad enough living in Bright with all them French bloody terriers all over the place. Bloody hell, you can't move for them now. <laughs> I need to go back to your childhood, Zoe, because I'm interested to know, did you have dogs and pets when you were growing up? Yes, yes. Our first dog, when I, I grew up in Ireland, um, and um, we had a dog um, from, I had, we had him from about, I guess I must have been about five, and he was an Irish wolfhound, and he oh. was beautiful, and he was massive. Um, he was at the time the second biggest dog in Ireland, which is <laughs> which is quite a thing, isn't it? Um, it's almost more notable than being the biggest dog in Ireland. He was an Irish wolfhound, but he was a massive Irish wolfhound, and I used to ride him like a pony. Did you have siblings? I've got a younger brother. Yeah, Finton. Yeah. Were your mum and dad sort of big characters? Um, my mum is quite a character. She's a strong northern lady. My father, Irish, um, and I would say quite eccentric, which is sort of um, uh, got more concentrated as he gets older, perhaps, as the sort of um, gravy thickens. Um, uh, he now lives in France. Um, my mum lives around the corner from me here in Hove. Oh, does he? Um, yeah. So my fam, my fam, what were they like? Um, it certainly wasn't bohemian. It certainly wasn't that. I'd say it was fairly sort of beigey, middle classish, uh, suburban. Um, yes. 
we weren't a particularly arty family. We weren't a particularly political family. Um, my parents divorced when I was about 10. Um, so then it was a divided family. Then it was quite different. It was, um, it was a different setup. My dad was a chemical engineer who worked in the oil business. I worked for various oil companies, um, from Philips Petroleum to uh, Norwegian companies. Uh, he lived in Norway for a while. Um, he was often out on rigs, that sort of thing. Um, he's quite academic, my dad. Um, yeah, chemistry and that sort of thing. Chemistry and physics is his sort of uh, main thing. And my mum worked in various jobs. She was a she was an auxiliary nurse for a while. She did a lot of admin. She did a lot of secretarial stuff. Um, uh, yeah, she worked in a night. She worked night shifts in a cottage hospital. We, when we lived in Epsom, we moved from Ireland to Epsom, so she worked there for a while. So she's she's a hardworking lady. I know that you moved around a lot as a kid. You had quite a peripatetic childhood, and I had one like that. Hmm. And, well, you moved everywhere, Zoe, didn't you? Where, where didn't you live? Well, I was born in Wales, then we moved to Ireland, and then we moved to Surrey, and then we moved to Glasgow, and then I went to university in York, and then eventually I ended up in London. So, yeah. Do you think that has an effect on you when you move around a lot as a kid? Oh, completely. Yes, totally. Um Yes, I mean, it has definite pros and cons. Um, I think the pros outweigh the cons. Um, I mean, my issue was my accent was always one country behind where I was. So, you know, when I moved from, from Ireland to England, I had an Irish accent. <laughs> when I moved from England to Scotland, I had an English accent, you know. So I was always trying to play catch up with my accents. Um, now I have a very nondescript accent, which I think most people would describe as slightly northern, despite the fact that I've never properly lived there. Um, <laughs> it's just sort of, I guess it's just found the, the mean geographical point of where, of all the places I've lived, and it's gone, it's roughly Roncorn. So that's what it's done, because I had a very strong Irish accent when I was a kid, um, and then I sort of talked like that when I was in Epsom, and then it sort of got blanded out in Glasgow, and now it's ended up here. So, um, but I... Yes, I think there are definite advantages to moving around a lot as a kid. I think it just gives you a better worldview. Um, I, I guess I realised I could sort of live anywhere then. If you've had that sort of movement when you're a child, you're less terrified of leaving. I mean, people talk about living, you know, next door to their to their siblings and their aunties and their cousins and they're all over the... And I'm like, oh, God, that fills me with horror. <laughs> and going to the same school and, and then ended up working with the same people that you went to school with. And that, to me, just sounds horrific. That, to me, would feel very insular. Um, I always think one thing that I think it gives you, just from my personal experience, is that it means it gives you a slight edge in terms of you're used to going into new environments and having to sort of catch up quickly. I guess we're in a room. Yes, yes. And particularly doing stand-up, going into different rooms all of the time you are having to you know ingratiate yourself on on a, on a room full of strangers and i think having that broader geographical view really helps and also i used to sort of adjust my accent slightly as well depending on which gig i was at you know so if i went to man if i was gigging in manchester i would put on a slightly more northern accent so that immediately they would feel like i was a little bit more like them and then in london i just sort of you know knock that off a bit and get a bit more london so it's i can do <laughs> 
Yeah, it's that desperate, needy thing, isn't it? Like me, like me, like me, like me, like me, like me, like me. Did you go to a convent in Ireland, or was yeah. it? What was that like? Yeah, I was taught by nuns. Um, yeah, they were all right actually. Um, I went back there not so long ago. Did a little radio show and went back to the school that I had gone to. All the nuns have gone. Oh. Um, yes, I think buried like cats in the back garden. Um, they've all been replaced. <laughs> it's all. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, they've all, yeah, they've all gone. Um, there were no, there are no nuns teaching there now at all. And I don't think nuns teach at all in Ireland now. And, um, I mean, they have a strong look, shall we say. They've gone for a strong look. And for a six-year-old child, seeing a, a, a swirling habit coming down the corridor towards you at speed, it, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a, you go, well done, that's a, it's a good look you've got going on there. It's quite intimidating for a child. <laughs> um, we had to learn Irish at school. We all had to learn Irish. And the other thing I tell people, people nobody ever believes me, is in every classroom there was a, there was a little intercom um, and the head nun uh, would sit in her office and... Uh, um, uh, read the Angelus or the the rosemary the rosary rosemary the rosary <laughs> from her office over this over a loudspeaker through the tannoy system when they would all repeat the rosary in our classrooms very much like sort of like um 1984 for Catholics <laughs> <laughs> were you one of those kids at school like what would your report say was it Zoe distracts people no Zoe's loud no now, Zoe was a wallflower. Zoe really was a wallflower. Uh, Zoe could try harder. A reading's not really up to par. And um, what, what would I have excelled at? Quite punctual. Um, <laughs> people always assume because of what you do for a living that you were the class clown. And I just really, really wasn't. I just totally wasn't. I was the complete opposite. I didn't have enough confidence to be the class clown. Um, in fact, I, 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 yeah, I was, I was the reverse, probably. Um, I was quite well behaved. I was quite well behaved. And I think because when I went to secondary school, I'd gone from Epsom, uh, to, like a middle school, up mm. to Glasgow into a secondary school, which was, you know, so much bigger and intimidating. And I would say a bit frightening for me. And I had an English accent. Um, and so you sort of stuck out. So you just sort of kept your head down. And I still got picked on, even though I kept my head down. It, was, it, wasn't, a, it wasn't a particularly happy time. Um, I didn't want to move to Scotland. My stepfather um, got transferred with his job. So we ended up leaving where we were living and going to Glasgow. Um, I had terrible alopecia at the time. So I was the only kid at school with a comb over. Um, so it was it was a hard time yeah that must have been really tough Zoe as a kid god I can imagine yeah it wasn't easy it wasn't easy you just sort of yes there's always that feeling of just being slightly uncomfortable um which actually has stood me in good stead later in life as a comedian because you're always slightly uncomfortable so I know what that feeling is whenever I interview people for this podcast it is absolutely the one thing that links everyone is there is a sense of otherness or not being quite like the others, not fitting mm. in. And it's something that 
oddly becomes an advantage, I think, when you're a performer. Yes, I think you can turn it to your advantage. Definitely, you can. Um, and it's nice because yeah. you can turn around and say, screw you. Yeah, screw you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is a strength in it. And I think, I think you know, I, I never wanted to be part of the crowd either. Really. Well, it's a weird, when you're very young, you sort of do because it's easier. You know, when you're 10, 11, 12, that is easier to be part of the crowd. Um, and then as you get older, you, you desperately try and move away from being part of the crowd. I mean, yes, so I, I had a different accent. I had a comb over and then I was beginning to realise I was probably gay as well. So it re yeah, it didn't really fit into the norm of a 12 year old, you know, back in 1983. Oh, God, <laughs> awful, awful. When you think back to it, you know, yeah, the way people referred to gay people, the way, uh, yeah, the way you were made to feel. Not me, because I had obviously hadn't come out at that age, but I could see what my future could potentially be like, and it didn't look brilliant, you know. Yeah. And did, was it something you were able to kind of discuss with people openly? Did that just come with time, I suppose, like talking, chatting to your folks about it and just feeling more comfortable with it yourself? Much later, much later. But I think I was probably about 12 when I began to realise that it's, well, it's that moment, it's a point in life, isn't it, when, you know, you, you realise there are members of the opposite sex and and attraction and all of those things, and, they, and you're suddenly going, oh, this doesn't fit the template. Oh, God. You know, yeah, desperately didn't want to be gay. Desperately didn't want to be gay. That was, you know, that was all... No, I just... I wanted hair. I wanted my hair back. <laughs> And to like boys, neither of those two things. Yeah. yeah. Did everyone think of you as someone who would make them laugh? Um, I knew I could make people laugh. Yes, I did. I was aware of that. But again, it wasn't the, it wasn't the kids in the classroom. It wasn't the kids in the. I didn't have the confidence to do the, to kids in the classroom because I, I, like I say, I was sort of a wallflower. But uh, it, when I was in late in primary school i used to i used to stand outside primary school and other parents would gather you know to have a little chit chat and drop their kids off and i would hold court uh with the parents i felt more at home doing that and i'd tell stories and i'd make them laugh and uh, i used to love that every morning <laughs> my audience were you know more mature uh than my own peers yes so i knew i could make them laugh and the thing is i knew i could make adults laugh so that's quite a powerful thing because of course, you know, through age and experience, they have they have witnessed more comedy, <laughs> therefore are more discerning. And if you've presented something that they are laughing at, it's it's hit the mark, it's hit the grade. Yeah. Whereas your friends are like, you know, poo bumped it, that's it, you know. So it's <laughs> at that point when you were growing up, were there other comics that you this would have been in the eighties, I guess, wasn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. That, that you would look at and think they're funny or that you were kind of inspired by. Oh, it was definitely, I think it was Billy Connolly as I was growing up, um, you know, he'd bring out a video every Christmas and at Christmas time we'd sit around and watch the video and um, he just an amazing performer and just a brilliant storytelling and use of words and would have all of us cracking up laughing, we'd all sit around, you know, you know, mums and dads and 
aunties and uncles and nephews and nieces crying, laughing, crying, laughing. Um, and also, you know, because when we were kids, it was, um, it was very much scheduled laughter, wasn't it? It wasn't just watch what you wanted when you wanted. It was absolutely scheduled. The entire country was laughing at 8pm on a Saturday night watching BBC Two. That was it. There was no other option. So, yeah. It's true. We will be laughing from We will all be laughing as a nation. <laughs> we will sit down as a nation on our corduroy sofas. <laughs> smoking with children in the room. Smoking with children in the Kids will be smoking, but only silk cut lights. Um, <laughs> yeah, Muppet Show. That was another one we used to watch as a family. I used to bloody love the Muppet Show. A Sunday night, we'd watch the Muppet Show. And that would really make us laugh, really make us laugh. I mean, the, um, the Swedish chef was uh, always a favourite, and Beaker. Um, <laughs> Because they had, um, they had, sorry, Groucho's going off in the corner. Sorry. What is it, dog? He wants out the door. Is he allowed to leave the podcast? Is he? Okay, you've got permission to leave the podcast, Groucho. It's Hotel California. You can check out whenever you want. Oh, look at that. Oh, mate, there's nothing out there. And you'll be right back in in two minutes. So this will be irritating. Go on, (laughs) off you pop. Um, (laughs) Tell me about, you went to... York University, didn't you? And you did psychology. Yes. What was it? What was that like? What was a psychology degree like? I think that sounds fascinating. It, I mean, you you think it would be, wouldn't you? I mean, you think it would be. That's why I chose it. It seemed like there was enough mixture of sort of words and numbers. It wasn't too heavy on the words. It wasn't too heavy on the numbers. There were some pictures, and I thought it'd be quite interesting. It was quite dull. Um, you know, lots of experiments about sticking pigeons in mazes and then blindfolding them and then discovering that they're depressed. Um, it wasn't as involved as I thought it was going to be. Also, I wasn't as attentive as perhaps I should have been. I um, very much enjoyed, should we say, the extracurricular activities of being at university. I just about managed to scrape a two-two because I was mostly larking about in the Amdram Society, the uh, York University Students Amateur Dramatic Society, or USADS as we were called, um, <laughs> or I was, the other things I was doing, I was off parachuting or potholing or all sorts of stuff. So, um, uh, yeah, and York was a funny place to go because it, again, I, so I went from a school I wasn't happy at to a university I ended up not being particularly happy at. Um, it was a real odd mix at York. It was a lot of... Um, Oxbridge rejects, um, which I wasn't expecting. I just wasn't expecting. And um, I was in halls of residence, Wentworth College, and for some reason I got a shared room. A shared room. It was for the first year of university, I had to share a room with a stranger. And I thought, you know, I thought I, it really got to me. It really, really, because we were completely different. When I got there, I thought, you know, it might be a friend early on. It might work out. And I opened the, the door and the, she'd already put up a poster of a kitten with the words, Jesus loves me underneath it. And I thought, this isn't going to work out, is it? <laughs> this is not going to work out. And her parents were there and she was calling them mummy and daddy. And I was like, this is going to be the longest, longest year of my life. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty bad. <laughs> it was pretty bad. Oh. 
because it's so true it's like you have this idea of college and you think oh it's all these like-minded people I know I should have gone to Manchester or Leeds I used to get on the train and go to Manchester or Leeds to go and see bands and stuff York nobody went there because it's you know York's pretty but the university it's like a sort of dystopian NCP car park stood in a in a sort of just fog fog and geese that's all it was it was just covered in fog and goose shit I hated it I absolutely hated it it was always about minus one you know and when you're a student you haven't got any central heating and yeah it was bleak bleak and I was still sort of coming to terms I still coming to terms with my sexuality there and um, fell in love with a woman who who treated me like shit so it was just bleak fog goose shit and despair it was just awful now I think about it oh and dungarees there was a lot of dungarees a lot of dungarees yeah and were you quite so at that point yeah you were sort of dating women and but no no I was trying to (laughs) I was desperately trying to none of them wanted me (laughs) (laughs) they had a sort of um it would have been called it would have been gay and lesbian at that point um society you know at the university that you went along to and there was one bloke in a cravat and a girl in a bowler hat and you're like oh god this is never gonna work this is just awful this is oh no is this it <laughs> this is not rich pickings um so it was disastrous disastrous <laughs> Oh, God, it was miserable now I think about it. Utterly, utterly miserable. Um, But I did make good friends at university. I made very good friends, and some of them I still have. I did, and we did have some good parties. And uh, it was this massive old house. The wind howled through it like nothing else. We had two front rooms that were huge and had nothing in it except um, a fruit machine. (laughs) We'd have really big parties. Do you know why I chose your university? Um, it had a very, very pretty prospectus the year I went. Um, pictures of daffodils on the front. And I think <laughs> that literally caught my eye. <laughs> and a beautiful minster, I presume. Yes, and Betty's tea room, and I like an Eccles cake. But I don't think that that is really not enough to base where you're going to spend three years of your life. I know that now. You can't base it on a daffodil and an Eccles cake, but I sort yeah. of did. Yeah. You ended up going to drama school but yes. what happened was that was that shortly after you graduated or um gosh it would have been a couple of years after I graduated I went um went home to Glasgow I worked in a TGI Fridays in the city centre for a while oh yeah I was a cocktail bartender um used to do all the uh, flair very good at throwing the bottles less good at catching them uh several incidents um <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't get away with it now. Um, The insurance wouldn't cover me now. So I did that for a few years. And then I moved to London. And I went to the poor school in King's Cross, um, which was a drama school designed so that you could study in the evenings and at weekends. Really good drama school, isn't it? It it was, was, I mean, (laughs) the head of the school was a character, shall we say. (laughs) Um, mm, uh, Check off. Copies of Chekhov were used as missiles, um, uh, um, and it was uh, it was quite interesting. You know, I mean, at drama school they do break you down so that they can put you back together again. And I, I think 
I think a lot of people were broken down and pieces went missing uh, during that process at that school. So, and I, early, fairly early on, I'd have been about 26 when I graduated from there, I realised that I probably wasn't going to be an actress after all, because um, you were so dependent on people giving you roles. But I, I did, I did tend to play the club-footed maid, or you know the the, the, the slightly awkward sister, or that. So I, I was like, it's cameo roles. And it's comedy cameo roles. That's my future. Uh, let's go for that. So yes, it was after that. It was where it was a couple of years after that. Actually, I started thinking, well, it's stand that stand up. I'll do stand up. You wanted to perform essentially. That was that was in you, and you just at that point we can't gloss over this, Zoe, because I am obsessed by Survivor. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh God, really? <laughs> you were on yes survivor which was one of the the uk's first sort of big reality shows around the time of big brother wasn't it yes yes it was yeah so i was working in a restaurant in london uh this is before i started doing stand-up um i'd finished drama school i it was becoming pretty obvious that i wasn't going to get many roles <laughs> and i was bored one day at my waitressing job and i saw it was an advert in the guardian uh, for survivor and an American friend of mine had told me about the American series. That was how I knew about it. She said, we've been watching this show, Survivor, you know. And I saw it and I went, I bet I can get on that. It was, it, honestly, it was as clear as that. My brain went, I bet if you got an interview, you could get on that. So I said, <laughs> I sent off an application and I, uh, and I sent up a couple of little things in it that I thought they might pick up on this, they might pick up on that. And sure enough, I got an interview, I got an interview, an audition, and um, I got chosen. Um, and yeah, before I knew it, I was on a plane out to Borneo going, well, that went a bit far, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that. oh dear, that's, yeah. Did they test like your fitness levels or anything? Well, they like asked, that? they asked and I lied. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't really they didn't put me on a treadmill or anything. They just went, how fit are you? I went, oh, you know, you know, for a, what was I at the time? Was it about 20, 29? So, oh, pretty fit. Really wasn't fit. I nearly died in the first five minutes of filming because I'm incredibly cack handed. I've got no balance whatsoever. Um, and we had to jump off a big boat and then get on a life raft and, and paddle ashore to the island, right? <laughs> I managed to jump off the big boat, get trapped between the life raft and the big boat by my neck. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going, literally going to die in the first five minutes of this show. I spent a lot of time nearly being sick because of the exertion. Yeah. You did quite well, though, didn't you? I did. I did do quite well because I bought... You were like third team. or fourth out of like a 14. No, I was about fifth, about fifth or sixth. It was about 14 of them. I got down to the last six. Um... Uh, was why, why do you think you did well? Because surface, charming. Uh, <laughs> uh, next dermis level, very observant and, and can be and very aware. So that played in my favour. Uh, third thing was I became incredibly good at spearing fish. And that's a skill. And that's a skill that they need on the island when you're starving. <laughs> we got given a we got given a mask, a snorkel, 
fins and a spear and it was brilliant immediately all the blokes went right let's go get some we'll, we'll get some fish and they were crap at it they were crap at it. and i just oh the other reason i did well very 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 manageable ego if you it, i'm always fascinated by people's ego and the way they present it um i i genuinely think the strongest position you have <laughs> is lying face down on the floor <laughs> <laughs> so little can get you you can still have a very strong ego but be face down on a floor i'm fascinated by people who can't contain their own egos and must stand upright and arms out in front of everybody go you are a massive target now whereas i am face down on the floor <laughs> and it's it's it, you can play small ego but have quite a big one and and that, that works in your favor so you just let people hang themselves you just you know people are so in those sorts of situations you know what this is like you get it a lot in media situations when you get a lot of egos together in, in a room immediately there are those that really want to stamp their impression on everybody else from the outstart from the start they're like that bum, bum, i'm this i'm and uh i always see it as an enormous weakness an enormous it's like standing too close to the edge on a train platform you stand at the back and you can see which door's the quietest. Don't go to the front, you're an idiot. You know, so it was the same on this show. It was just lie on the floor, wait for everybody else to kill themselves with their own massive egos, trying to make an impression <laughs> on television, and then just crawl to the finish line. That's what you do. <laughs> it, it makes total sense. Um, but get a skill along the way, and my skill was um, spearing fish. Nobody turned to the women and went, anybody good at holding their breath and swimming underwater? Which I was very, very, very good at. Um, I could hold my breath for nearly two minutes, um, but I didn't tell them that. I just let them all fail. <laughs> then I went, could I have a go? <laughs> Maybe I could have a go. Went in, boom, boom. stingray, there you go, Indians. <laughs> Any situation in my life where there's been some sort of confrontation or not, you know, not physical confrontation or, or issue or um, I've always let, let your opponent hang themselves you know if their ego is big enough they will eventually trip over it how are you at confrontation if you have to have a difficult conversation with someone how do you mm. deal with that i'm getting better at that and i'm nearly 50 and it's taken a while yeah and i'm only just getting to learn how to do that um yeah yeah i think that's born out of the fact that i was brought up in a household where um we weren't encouraged to be confrontational um, so you learn to be quiet um, and yeah I'm only just learning how to do it properly yeah it's difficult it's really tricky it's a very difficult skill um, yeah you, you either go over the top punch somebody and then cry <laughs> you just described last Thursday in my life <laughs> I need to ask you um, about your comedy career because it, it feels like you it happened relatively swiftly in some ways, but I don't know if it felt like that for you. And how did being on Survivor help or in any way or with your confidence maybe or with confidence? Yes, it did because I realised I was the, I was quite funny on that show and they 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 edited me quite kindly and I knew I gave them sort of good moments. I was aware of that and I'm quite I was quite sort of camera aware, you know, <laughs> aside. Um, so uh, uh, it did give me confidence, but I was also aware enough to know that um, 
I did not want to be associated with that show when I started doing stand-up because that was a one-off thing that would die. And if I did want a serious career, it had to be out with that. Um, and so I left it a couple of years. I left it two years. Um, and I, I used to get the odd person going, oh, weren't you on Survivor? But that was it. That was all I had. Um, because this, it was also pre-Twitter sort of and Instagram and everything. So I managed to go under the radar with it quite easily. Um, but yes, when I when I when I did start doing the stand up, it, it it took off quite quickly. I mean, I I I knew I could be funny, but I really I I I had to learn how to write jokes and how to write a set. Uh, watching people, listening, you know, learn yeah, learning, yeah. I don't mean I nicked their material. I mean I just watched them, what they did and sort of go, oh okay, you can make it more intricate, or you can make it this, you can make it that. I didn't really have a clue about the mechanics of it at all, at all. Um, I just knew I could make people laugh. I mean, my first gig was basically, I got away with it because of smoke and mirrors and you know um, enthusiasm, but that will only carry you so far. And eventually you will get found out. So you need to have more bulletproof material. You need to find out what it is that you do. Does that take a while to, for that oh, to gosh, evolve? Yes, yes. And I think the people pleaser in me as well still censors myself to a point. Um, that happens. Yeah. Um, it's a, there's, a really, there's a real interesting feeling on stage when you say something that feels really true to you, that's really funny, but it, and, and it lands. And it's like the most satisfying clunk. <laughs> it's really satisfying. Um, and not all material has that effect. Some of it you're like, this bit shit, but nobody's noticed. <laughs> I keep doing it. <laughs> but you know, um, there's always a bit in a show, always a bit. Every night you come to it, you go, oh God, it's this bit. I really need to rewrite this bit because it's awful. And then you just fin you finish the show and you, and you forget to rewrite it. And then the next night you're like, oh, God, it's this bit again. <laughs> <laughs> Who's got to rewrite this shit? It's like, oh, it's me. I've got to rewrite it. <laughs> um, when you get a routine that really resonates and is funny and is as a truth to it, that's a lovely clunk. It's a really nice clunk in, in your system. Yeah. Do you think when you look at men, male comics, what, I, what I'm always aware of is, not always, but generally there's, there's an absence of self-doubt and that's to do with conditioning, isn't it? That's from a young age. It's yeah. sort of that reinforcement of, with men, yeah. it's what do you do, whereas women, it's focused on what do you look like. And it mm. does. It starts in the pram when they say, what a pretty baby, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, that, it's women learning not to be passive, I suppose. And yes. was that something, again, you had to learn that to sell yourself and to be unafraid? Or do you feel you had that anyway? No, I didn't have it. I'm, I'm not particularly ballsy. For want of a better expression, I'm not. I'm, I when I started doing stand, quite sensitive. Um, you know, somebody shouted something out. <laughs> I wouldn't have any sharp comebacks. Sort of like that's an awful thing to say. Why would you possibly say that? <laughs> you know, this is not naturally comedic. It's like oh, I've got to go away and think about that and carry that with me like a bad smell for days. Um, 
Why would you say that? <laughs> what have my tits got anything to do with this? <laughs> um, I've had to l learn to to be a bit braver, yeah, a bit bolder. Um, yeah, it really upset me. I'm, I, you know, I'm probably in the the worst profession. I mean, I'm I don't like late nights. And I don't like confrontation. So I'm really not cut out for this. I'm really, really not cut out for this. I should be a farmer. I like to get up early. Get a, I like to do a manual job and then go to bed tired. Um, but I'm, I'm pulling against myself the whole time. So, yes, I'm, I've had to. It's really interesting. If you're, a, if you're a strong woman on stage, you're scary. That's what I've been told. Somebody once said to me, I wanted to come up to you and say hello, but you seem so confident and scary. And I was like, if you're, if you're strong on stage as a guy, you're just a confident man. That's all you are. Well, it's the same thing that if you're a woman and you're with men and you're talking, if you speak, sometimes the perception is that you're interrupting when actually what you're doing is talking. <laughs> It, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, you appear a lot on sort of you know mock the week and QI and and live at the Apollo. How how do you feel? You come across brilliantly on TV. How do you feel about those gigs? Is there a high degree of of nerves attached to those? Oh, I get very nervous. Oh yeah, I do. I get very very nervous. Um, <clears throat> I remember doing live at the Apollo and thinking I might pass out. <laughs> might come up and I'm just on the floor in my safe position face down lying on the floor um yeah I I get very very nervous very nervous um but it's a stop it's started to get a bit easier for me now because as the older you get you realize yeah what's the worst that can happen I think I think I think post pandemic as well there's an element of what's the worst thing that can happen you know I um this last year has been so interesting for people's mental health because it has absolutely destroyed some people and it and has made life so hard. But, but but I do think there are very interesting lessons to be learned from this period of time when you are completely out of control because you you can't you literally can't control what's going on in the world. I personally, it's really odd though, but I think as soon as I got to my forties, I think it was sort of mid forties, and and now I recently turned fifty, and it's. I feel less, I suppose I'm so, I'm aware that how I look is mm. so irrelevant now. And mm. guess what? It always was, but I just didn't know that. But it's like, you're judged so much less on that. It's like, I just feel it's not my currency. And I kind of personally now, I find that so liberating because it means, all oh, right, I just have to focus entirely on what I say and do now because I'm yeah. not, nothing is wrapped up in that. Did you feel that getting older? I suppose I've always had like a what I would describe as a quirky face. Um, <laughs> I have a, I have a you know, big nose, pointy chin, quirky face. I have a quirky face. I've never been a I've never been a pretty girl. I was never I was never pretty. I was never. I suppose I've never been particularly. Oh God, this sounds all girly. You know what I mean? So I never focused on that myself. I guess I've always considered myself a person first, then maybe a woman, then maybe a gay woman, and then sort of a, a you know, 
scrubs up all right. But it, I've never put, maybe because I wasn't interested in attractive, I don't know what, but I, I was never that focused on, on what I looked like so much. But there is also that thing of, yes, getting older. And be, I'm, I'm 50 this year and, and um, yeah, not caring so much. I need to talk about Lightning, which is your show. Yes. yes. Which I love. It's yeah. your um, new quiz show on, is it BBC Two? It's BBC on. Two. Series one's just finished. So we are in that sort of limbo-y period of going, do we get to strike again? Um, so we're waiting to see. It it, it, it did really well. It, it, it got good viewer numbers and it, it, um, and it seemed to do really, really well. I loved doing it. It's something I've never even considered doing. I've never even been on my radar. And then my agent phoned me and said, got you an audition for a quiz show. And in my, my way, I went, well, that'll never happen, will it? So I went, I'll go. So I went and um, uh, did a run through. And I thought, I think that went okay. I'm not sure. And then a few months later, yeah, I found out I'd got it. Um, and basically, they wanted something a bit quirkier and with a little bit of personality and a little bit cheeky. And because I've done quite a lot of comparing, I could I could bring that to the party, I suppose. Um, I absolutely loved it. I loved it. It was such a fascinating experience for me as well. Um, and it was only when I got in the studio, I had my makeup done, my hair done, I was in the shiny suit, and we started rolling that I went, oh, Christ, I've never done this before. I have not clue what I'm doing. <laughs> It was, a, it was a proper moment where I went, I literally haven't a clue what I'm doing. And um, I could hear the director in my ear and, you know, shouting off all these terms. I was going, run grams, run grams, what does run grams mean? I was Googling television terms under the podium. Oh, it's the jingle. Right, okay. <laughs> it was... I could probably wing my way through most things these days. If somebody says, get up and give a TED talk about the Hadron Collider, I'd be like, I'll give it a go. Because <laughs> I'll have done worse gigs. <laughs> you know, I've done gigs that have gone worse than that. So, um, so you do give things a go. Yeah. So tell me how you met your wife, Zoe. Um, we met ooh, 20 three years ago um <laughs> such a cliche story <laughs> on the island of lesbos <laughs> all the lesbians are available in other locations but it just happened to be there and um it just happened to be there um uh i was living in london she was living in holland and um, we spent 18 months going back into, uh, we have been together for 22 years, uh, but unfortunately during pandemic, we have, we've actually separated. So, um, uh, but we are now at a point where we are able to talk and- um, But so we don't need to put, uh, we don't have to, Oh, it's okay. I don't mind about it. I, it, you know, it. It happens, and it's happened a lot in the last twelve months. And I think you know, people, it, it, it's it's helpful if people hear it. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. I think it's something that a lot of people are going to be dealing with. But it's not. Um, it doesn't make it easier when it's your it's story. Not, it's not easy. It's really not easy. But you know what? 
this hasn't been an easy year for any, I don't think anybody's come high kicking out of 2020 to 2021 going, well, that was fun. I think, I think it's really, you know, it's, um, it's been very tough and it's been very uh, soul searching. Um, and it's, but it's, um, but it does happen. It happens all of the time. And it doesn't mean that you don't love that person. It just means that circumstances have changed and that situations have changed and, you know, and people change and you can still love them very, very much. Yeah. Mm. You can still love them very, very much. Um, uh, and the, the thing is to move forward in a positive way. I think that's the thing, isn't it? To try and move forward in a kind, positive way. Thankfully, we don't have children. Mm. Um, we, ne we, we didn't want any because we couldn't stand them. Um, so we just, we, you know, we, we just have us, the interesting thing I think is, you know, we've just said to each other, there is no template for what our future relationship should or, 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 or can look like this. We can make it whatever works for us out of kindness and out of love and out of, out of respect. And, um, and if that means, you know, <laughs> You live like hinge and bracket with me in a cupboard under the stairs, then that's fine. Because there is, there is no template and there is no sort of, there, there, there shouldn't be. You just find what works for you, what works for both of you to, to make your futures better. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And that's born out of real love, really. Yeah. People say funny things when you split up, you know. Some people have said you're throwing away 22 years. You go, no, no, no. I had 22 years. We had 22 years. They haven't gone anywhere. They are all. They're still there. That's everything was there. The photographs, sort of, there. You know, we've had all of that. We will have a different future. That is all. Um, but we will be in each other's future. It's much. funny when people say that. I think it's interesting. My therapist, actually, um, not going to lie, uh, said to me, <laughs> "I've just started. It's marvelous. I, I've got to. I've got to learn how to do it because I'm really playing it for laughs at the moment. So." Um, <laughs> I really am. It's really bad. I'm like, I'm paying for this shit. I should be taking it seriously. But the first couple of times I absolutely played it for laughs. And, and I was like, you know, if I got four or five in an hour, I was like, hit rate. If I make my therapist laugh, it's a, uh, it's a good day. It's a funny thing, isn't it? Yeah. But then I sort of, those are often the sessions, if I'm honest, that I'll come away from thinking, well, I, I did a great, I did great. And what about I know, I was <laughs> It was really, sometimes I'll say, I was really articulate the way I summed up that. I think she was really impressed by my insight. I had, I had literally the same conversation with somebody earlier today when I went, I think they look forward to our chats. <laughs> I think I bring something quite unique to the table. <laughs> Clearly, I don't. We're all, you know, I don't at all. But that is the performer and the ego of me going, I bet they look forward to, to our conversations. Well, they're not. They're just sitting there going, that's another 60-odd quid. Right, fair enough. How do you feel? You all right? <laughs> I imagine I'm going home to her husband saying, I just, you know what? I mean, I've had a lot of clients, but Emily Dean, it's the insight that she plays. <laughs> And her intelligence, <laughs> her courage, her fortitude. Bravery. I just find that hilarious that I have, I have the very, very same thought. I find that so funny. What's wrong with us? Well, they'll tell us eventually. <laughs> <laughs>
And you've got Groucho. I've got Groucho, little bastard. <laughs> Before we say goodbye to you, firstly, I'd like to get your assurance that, and I won't take no for an answer, <laughs> that I can come to Brighton and go out with you and Groucho for a walk. I would love that more than anything. That would be fantastic. Lovely. And Will Ray be coming? Because I'll have to. I'll have to have a chat with Bright with the Groucho first about he can and can't bark Emily I would genuinely love that that would be so sweet that'd be really really good fun we'll have a donut by the pier so can we get Groucho back let me see if I can I'll let me see if I can grab him bear with me I'm going to have to leave the screen come on Mickey's Mickey's yay Mickey's there are no Mickey's oh he's gone (laughs) (laughs) come here where's Elf oh Elfie, come on, we'll have Elfie. What's he got there, Zoe? Elfie. Elfie is a very stinky uh, Christmas present that he loves, loves Elfie. Well, I don't want to play Tom Trumps here. <laughs> but, uh, oh, how about you, Meat? Oh, Mr. Santa Meerkat. Santa Meerkat? Who? <laughs> Oh, does Elfie squeak? Oh, he used to squeak, but it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't last long with that. Did he used to squeak, though, or are yeah. you trying to... No, uh... he, did, he did, he used to squeak. <laughs> he did. I, don't, I don't want to take away from your, from your Khmer cat, but he did used to squeak. Oh, oh God, your teeth. So, so you're going to say goodbye to Groucho. Ray, can you say goodbye to Groucho? <laughs> Do you want to describe what happened there, Zoe? What did he do? He just gave you a look of... He just completely turned his head away. He did, he did. He completely... He's, he's heard about Groucho. He's like, don't leave him with that sug. Absolute sug made behind a bin dog. Yeah. Zoe, thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. A real pleasure. And do get in touch when you come down. That'd be lovely. Yeah, we'll, we'll have a walk. A walk and a talk. I can't wait. Super. Groucho. (laughs) Take care, guys. Bye. 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 I really hope you enjoyed listening to that. And do remember to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes.